Thank you, Leslie. It is truly an honor for us to gather in this place today to worship the Lord together, to celebrate this Christmas season, the fact that we have a Savior who was born to redeem us. Today, if you're visiting with us, we are so glad to have you here. We hope that you make yourself at home. But before you leave, please stop by our guest table located in the vestibule. We would love to uh, uh, introduce ourselves, give you some information on the church. We have a gift for you, but please stop by there on your way out. Um, and as y'all know, it is flu season, just right in time for winter to, to start. So um, in just a moment when we stand, um, we'll go ahead and do this. Everybody look at your neighbor, just wave at them today. <laughs> no germs were shared right there. But we are going to stand here in just a minute to sing. But I just want to read a couple passages from Matthew 1, from Romans 6, and just a thought as we begin our service. In Matthew 1, it says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And in Romans, it tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
At Christmas, we remember and we celebrate the fact that our greatest need was met through the greatest gift ever given, Jesus. It is about celebrating the birth of Jesus. It is not just a yearly tradition, but for those of us who follow and trust in Christ, this season is for us is a declaration that our Savior has come and that He has made a way through His birth, life, death on the cross, and His resurrection. And that is why we have a reason to celebrate today. So I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads as we begin our service with prayer. Father, we celebrate today your amazing plan. The Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. God, your amazing plan of love and redemption. Lord, we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus. Lord, we worship today. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, help us through this busy season again to remember it is not about the lights and the gifts and the food. It is about a Savior who was born to meet our deepest and greatest need. And my prayer today is as we celebrate, as we look at your word, that if there's someone here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that this Christmas would be different as they put their faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.
thank you. As you know, this time of service that we set aside to pray together, and one of the greatest things you can do is pray for someone else. So as a praise team leads us in this song, if you would meet me here at the altar and let's start out this service in an attitude of prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come from this place and fill the Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to tell you that we love you. Father, we thank you first and foremost for Jesus. Father, we thank you for the plan of salvation. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that, Lord, drew us to yourself. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we could not save ourselves, but, Lord, you saved us. And, Lord, we gather here together as believers and just want to give you the honor and the glory and the praise first and foremost for our salvation. Lord, thank you for how you've blessed this church this year, how you've blessed us this year. Father, we just never want to take these times for granted to worship together. Father, I know that there are people hurting here during this Christmas season. Father, some of us are not here today. And Lord, I pray that you would heal the hurt that comes with that for many of the, the family members here at East Hills of Baptist Church. And Father, we just pray that you'd wrap your arms around them. Lord, just let them know how much you love them. And Lord, minister to them in ways that only you can. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the many prayers you've answered for us this year. Lord, we've prayed for so many people, Lord, and I see them in this congregation. And Lord, it's just a blessing. And we don't want to take those things for granted either. And Father, we just thank you and praise you for that. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just pray that you administer to us in supernatural ways today. Bless this offering, Lord. It is an act of worship. And pray that you be honored and glorified through it. And the rest of this service, I pray that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the Mary, did you know that your baby boy 
would give sight to a blind man. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, Amanda, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 2 and stand with me. We're going to talk about Jesus being the Son this morning. And I would go on record as saying this, what you believe about Jesus uh, determines your eternal destiny and your salvation. And I would say this, um, you cannot just make up Jesus to be whomever you want Him to be. He is who He is. And this morning we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the Son of Man. And the Son of God. And if, you're, if that's not your belief, you can't even be a Christian. Okay? You, you can't be a Christian and just say Jesus is a good person or a good moral teacher. When Nicodemus stood before Jesus, he made this statement. And I'll read it out of God's Word. Nicodemus made this statement about Jesus. He said this. Rabbi or teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You know what Nicodemus said? You're supernatural. You're a great teacher. You're, you're amazing. And Jesus said, you can't even go to heaven unless you've been born again. Nicodemus' thoughts about Jesus were all wrong. Okay, And when you hear modern preaching on the radio and TV sometimes, I'm thinking they have the belief system of Nicodemus. You know, Jesus is not some good teacher. He's, he's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. Luke chapter 2 verse 11. Luke says this, the good doctor... Speaking about angels talking to the shepherds. And they say, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Very important. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we can't get Jesus wrong. We can't. And Father, I pray that today, by the, t- by the end of this service, that everyone here will place their faith and trust in the Jesus of the Bible. Father, not the Jesus of the culture. Father, not the Jesus of this world, but Lord, the Jesus of the Bible. And Father, I pray that you would save those that are lost. And Lord, encourage those that are saved. And we thank you, Lord, for your life, death, and resurrection that makes our salvation possible. All glory to the name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Luke says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Mark Driscoll said this, A Savior is someone or something that delivers us from a terrible plot. What is that terrible plot? Our sins. Eternal damnation. That's what you're saved from. Many religions have their own concepts of a Savior. In Buddhism, you save yourself by ceasing all desire. Confucius would say this, you save yourself through education, self-reflection, self-cultivation, and living a moral life. Hinduism says you save yourself by detaching yourself from the separated ego, making an effort to live in unity with the divine. In Islam, you save yourself by living a life of good deeds. I had an imam tell us in, in Scarborough, in, in Canada, you got, if your good deeds outweigh your bad, you go to heaven. Isn't that, isn't that a sad way to live your life? You know, in Judaism, you save yourself through repentance, prayer, and working hard to obey the law. What nearly all religions and spiritualities hold in common is the theme that if there is a Savior, it is the people saving themselves. Wouldn't you hate to be your own Savior? That would be the worst thing ever. Christianity is different. Christianity alone is right. All other religions and cults are wrong. What you believe about Jesus will determine your eternal destiny and your eternal salvation. What do you believe? What have some notable people said about Jesus in the past? Good people, mind you. Notice what Gandhi said about Jesus. He says this, I cannot say Jesus is uniquely divine. He was as much God as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad. He was as spiritual as me. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, as an embodiment of sacrifice and a divine teacher, but not as the most perfect man ever born. If Gandhi died with that mindset, then Gandhi's not with Jesus today. Just because you're a good moral person, Nicodemus was a good moral person. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. What about Martin Luther King? At one point in Martin Luther King's life, and I don't know if he died with this belief, but notice what Martin Luther King said. He says this, and this first part's not going to be on the screen, but the second part is, he says, on the doctrines of divine sonship. Just what Luke says here. A Savior has been born. He's divine. Christ Jesus the Lord comes from God, comes from heaven. Martin Luther King says, on the doctrines of divine sonship, the virgin birth, the evidence for the tenability of this doctrine is too shallow to convince any objective thinker. I disagree. On the resurrection, he says, the external evidence for the authenticity of this doctrine is found wanting. Technically, it's not. It's one of the most historically verifiable events in human history. And then he says this, a supernatural plan of salvation, the Trinity, the substitutionary theory of the atonement, and the second coming of Christ are all quite prominent in fundamentalist thinking. Such are the views of the fundamentalists, and they reveal that he is opposed to theological adaptation to social and cultural change, amid change all around, he is willing to preserve certain ancient ideas even though they are contrary to science. I would disagree. If Martin Luther King died with that belief, then he's not with Jesus either. Just because you're a civil rights leader does not, even a good one, does not mean, if you, if you have a holiday named after your name, that doesn't mean you go to heaven, does it? That doesn't mean you go to heaven. 
what you believe about Jesus determines where your eternity is going to be spent. Mormons say this. They believe that Jesus Christ was the firstborn spirit child of the Heavenly Father and a Heavenly Mother. Jesus then progressed to deity in the spirit world. Now, that's not what Luke says. Muslims say this. For Muslims, Jesus is neither God nor the Son of God. Jesus was a man. He was not God. He did not die. He went to heaven like Elijah. He did not die, therefore he did not rise. He did not rise, therefore he did not provide atonement. My goodness. The Bible disagrees with all of those. The Muslims would say he's just a prophet. Who is Jesus? And why can the Bible and Jesus himself claim that he is a Savior? Because, because, number one, he is the son of David. Notice what Matthew says in Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, all right, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, what? why would a Jewish person see that and go, wait a minute, you got those names backwards. You always put Abraham before David. Understand Matthew is a tax collector. And what Matthew's trying to tell the Jews, he's writing to the Jews to prove that Jesus Christ is the son of David, which is, a, which is a word, another word of saying the Messiah has come. Son of David establishes the royal line. Son of Abraham establishes the racial line. You know what, you know what Matthew's saying? This is a historically verifiable genealogy. There's not a Jew since Jesus' day today, today that would disagree with the genealogy of Jesus. Not one. There's not one that has a brain. You can't. It's historically verified. Look at this picture on the screen. There it is. Check it out for yourself. From Adam to Jesus, you can check it out. Jesus was a historical person who historically lived. And what you believe about him, okay, determines everything about you. Matthew says, check it out. He is the son of David, which establishes his royal line. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus, dozens of kings are in his family tree. A lot of them are bad. We looked at them one Wednesday night, and I'll do that sometime on a Sunday morning. They were just bad people, some of them. Okay? Anybody got crazy uncles in your family? Jesus had some. All right. Historically verifiable. There's not a Jewish rabbi on the planet that would disagree with Matthew. They would disagree with who Jesus was after he was born. There's not one person that will disagree with that. It's easily traceable. Okay, Matthew, and I'm going to read this again. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And what Matthew's saying, I'm going to prove to you Jewish people and the world that Jesus Christ is from the royal line of David. In Matthew 1.20, notice what the, the angel says. Behold, while he thought about these things, behold, talking about Joseph, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph was of the son of David, Jesus' father. Now listen, when you see the term son of David mentioned in Matthew's gospel, every person who mentions that term is saying, proclaiming, confessing, we know you're the Messiah. We know you're the King of Kings. And it's amazing the people that made those statements when the religious people did. Notice when the blind man was healed or was going to be healed, notice what he says. The blind man says this, Have mercy on us, comma, son of David. A great statement of faith. When Jesus heard that, you better answer your phone. When Jesus heard that, <laughs> when Jesus heard that, Jesus probably looked at the man and said, You believe in me as the Messiah. Okay? You believe that I'm Messiah. And the, these verses aren't up there, but notice. After he healed the demon-possessed man, all the multitudes were amazed. And this is what they said. Could this be? Could this really be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah we've been waiting on? The multitudes went before him when Jesus rode in on the donkey. Notice what they said. Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the house. Hosanna means God saves to the utmost. You remember Sam Nadler was here. He was holding up the prom branches. God saves to the highest. And they're saying this. When Jesus rides in on the donkey, you're the Messiah, the son of David. That's what, that's what Matthew's saying. Now I'm going to read that again. Matthew says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the son of Abraham. God promised Abraham that the Messiah would be born from him. Genesis 22:18 says, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. God promised Abraham that through your seed the Messiah will come and his kingdom will be eternal forever. Not only is Jesus the son of David, the son of Abraham, he is also the son of man. The son of man is a messianic title. Jesus is the one who was given dominion and glory and kingdom. When Jesus used this phrase of himself, the disciples never used that phrase of Jesus. He just, made it, he just said it of himself. He was assigning the Son of Man prophecy to himself. Notice the Son of Man prophecy in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Daniel says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Every Jewish person that studied the Bible understood the Son of Man is the Messiah. Because we're going to worship him. His kingdom's going to be forever. He's not just a normal dude. <laughs> He's just not. And Jesus called himself that. Jesus said this. Look, Jesus almost quotes Daniel in Matthew 25, 31 when he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory... All of the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. When Jesus was on trial and was asked if he was the Messiah, this is what he said in Matthew 26, 64. Notice what he says. It's on the screen. It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He basically quotes Daniel 7. This speaks of his exaltation and rule. Jesus also said this in Luke 19. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So that first meaning is a messianic title. The, the phrase Son of Man is also the second meaning of that phrase is that Jesus is a human being. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So what John is saying is this. God's going to come in the form of a person and He's going to dwell among us. He's going to walk among us. He's going to be God. He's going to be man. Son of Man. Okay? Matter of fact, John, when he left the Isle of Patmos... He writes 1 John 4, 2, he says this. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man is from God. The third meaning of the Son of Man is that it's connected with His sufferings. The Son of Man. Jesus said this in Mark 8, 31. And He began to teach them that the Son of Man, the one Daniel promised would come, it would, and he's going to have an everlasting kingdom. Jesus said, the Son of Man, that's me, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, who is me, I'm not going to set up my kingdom now, but I'm going to suffer and die and rise again. But he prophesied that, and that's what happened. And the last thing we see here is this. Not only is Jesus the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the Son of Man, but He is the Son of God. He is God in flesh. How do we know Jesus is God? Because He said He was. Notice what He tells the Jewish people. 
If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Jesus kind of lays it on the table and says, if you don't believe that I'm God in flesh, you'll die in your sins. I'm not a moral teacher. I was virgin born, lived a perfect life. It doesn't matter what Gandhi says or anybody else. This is what Jesus says. He's telling Jewish people this, God's own people. All right. If you not, do not believe that I am and that he's been added, literally what Jesus says, if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. The only person who can use the I am phrase is God. At the burning bush, Moses said, who shall we tell him sent us? And God says, tell him I am that I am. And when Jesus says I am, which he says it in John over and over again, he's telling him I am God. Jesus said he was God. Listen to this. When Jesus stood before the high priest, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. Yeah, I am that I am. Listen to their response. This is how they took it. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? We have all heard this, his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesied to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. Why? Because Jesus said he was God. He said he was. He said he was. When Jesus stood before the Jews in John 8, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because Jesus is saying, as the Son of God title, I am God. In John 10, once again, Jesus replied, the Father and I are one. Which, if it's not true, it's blasphemy. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. They replied, We're stoning you not for, they replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, listen to what they say. You, a mere man, claim to be God, Son of God. Who is Jesus to you? In Revelation 1:17, Jesus said this: Fear not, I am the first and the last, and if he's not God, that's blasphemy. In Isaiah, God says this: I the Lord, the first and the last, am he. Sounds like the same person. So Jesus is God because he said he was. The second thing, the reason we know Jesus is God, he was worshipped as God. Now think about this. If Jesus was offered and accepted worship, then by doing so, he was confirming his divinity. From the beginning of Jesus' life, we see examples of him being worshipped. When the wise men come to Magi, it says, As soon as the Magi laid eyes on the infant Christ, they bowed down and worshipped him. Worshipped. Fell on the floor. We don't know how many wise men there were or magi. There may have been 20. We don't know. But they all bowed down and worshipped him whenever they, when they arrived. Notice the blind man. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshipped Jesus. That is blasphemy if it's not true. For Jesus to accept worship if he's not God is true. Jesus' followers claimed, proclaimed, preached Gave their lives for this fact that Jesus was God. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in Titus 2.13. Talking about Jesus, he's our great God and Savior. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 1.1 says the same thing. He is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Notice whether Thomas, after Jesus had resurrected, Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see the, the prince in his wrist and I touch his side. And then when Jesus appeared before him, Thomas fell down and said this, My Lord and my God. John says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist for years, when he finally surrendered his life to Jesus because he understood who he was, he said this about Jesus. He says, A man, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. 
He would either be a lunatic on the level of a ma- with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He did not leave us that option. He did not intend to. He is either Lord of all or not at all. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a good teacher, a good example? If that's the, if that's the Jesus that you've placed your faith and trust in, you can't even be born again. You can't even be born again unless you believe in the, the, the divinity of Jesus is the foundation of our hope and the key to the Bible. If you remove that, you have removed everything. Who is Jesus to you? When, can you remember the time that you finally realized who Jesus was and you surrendered your life to that fact? Can you remember that? Can you remember the time when you surrendered your life to Jesus as the son of David, son of Abraham, son of man, and son of God? Can you remember? For me, I've shared this with you a hundred times, I was a mile from this church, an exact mile from this church. When I surrendered my life as a 20-year-old young man to this Jesus, he wasn't some moral teacher to me. He's the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. And he'll not just change your life. Will he not change the purpose and direction of your life? I shared this Wednesday. How many of you remember your first job? How much did you make at your first job, Steve? $15 a week. He was balling. All right. <laughs> My first job, and I, shared, I was a tow boy. Anybody know what a tow boy is in the furniture factory? Yeah. You know what a tow boy does? Whatever they tell you. Four fifty an hour. I used to hear this every day. Tow boy. Give me some cotton. Tow boy. I said, okay. <laughs> then, tow boy. Give me some staples, tow boy. Then one day they said this. Tow boy. Get the cloth stretcher. Y'all ever look for a cloth stretcher? I did. Yeah, there's no such thing. Went to the sweetest lady in the sewing department. And I said, Lucille, do you know where the cloth stretcher is? She had never lied. She said, it's upstairs in the frame room. <laughs> I went, they sent me everywhere. I remember they'd say this, toe boy, sweep around my bucks, toe boy. You know what I'd do? Sweep around the bucks. We had a big trash bin. I mean, they, I said, don't pour your drinks in the trash bin. i got to dump this thing. All right, you know what they do? Toe boy. Spit tobacco in that thing. Every day, had to dump the trash bin. Every day. didn't matter if it was 20 below zero. Had to dump that trash bin. I did. And I'd get so mad. And back then, before the Lord saved me, I'd talk back to him. You know, I'd say, toe boy, I'll tell you about your toe boy. No. <laughs> I'll tell you about your toe boy. Hey, and then guess what happened? Got saved. And they'd say, Toe boy, give me some cotton. I'd say, all right. Because Colossians says, you work as unto the Lord. I said, I'll be Toe boy. One of the men whom I, I greatly respect after I got saved. All right. He said, come here, Toe boy. I said, all right. He says, one of these days, you're going to be somebody. He says, and when you do, I'm going to get you autograph. And that's what he said. One of these days, you're not going to be a tow boy forever. See, I'd gotten a lot of trouble back then. He said, he said, I know you give your life to Jesus. He says, you're not going to be a tow boy forever. I said, I feel like it. 2006, we're here at East Tailswood Baptist Church. We're having a community Thanksgiving meal. We invited the whole community. This guy comes from a furniture factory. Whole table full of people. 
He says, Steel, come here, buddy. I said, yep. He says, you remember me? I said, yeah, I remember you. I was your tow boy. And he says, I told you you wouldn't be a tow boy forever. And he got a napkin in front of his coworkers. And he said, give me my, your autograph in front of all these people. I said, are you serious? He said, I made you a promise. And I'm going to keep it. You know what I did? I got a pen. And I wrote, Jamie Steele, with love. I think I put, I was a tow boy. <laughs> or something. <laughs> I can't remember. But I was like, this is crazy. What are you, what are you doing? Went to the East-West basketball game. Girls. All right? And watch the boys play. Great game. Okay? Uh, those two East-West girls games are some of the best games I've watched all year. Good games. Heard somebody hit me on the shoulder. Still. I said, well, I had seen you in 13 years. So we're talking. Same guy. This is crazy, isn't it? Same guy. We're talking. I was asking about his family and, and all those things. And man, just reliving. Man, I was just so glad to see him. You know what he said? He hit me in the shoulder. Now, this guy's about 70-something now. So I still got your autograph at home. I said, man, that was some good encouragement you gave me. Listen, God will change your life. He'll change the direction of your life. Give your life to Him. Give your life to Him. Nobody loves you like Jesus does. Nobody. So you may leave here unsaved, but you'll not leave here unloved. Trust in Christ today. I want you to stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed. We're not going to give a long invitation. Merry Christmas, you're getting out early today. But I would say this, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, notice this last one. This is what Paul says. If you confess with your mouth the actual Jesus of the Bible and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, I love these last four words, you will be saved. You don't need a preacher to help you with that. You don't, need, you don't got to come down here to this altar. I wasn't saved in church. But think about this. In the quietness of this moment, you can say, Jesus, I believe and I give my life to you and your eternal destiny is secured forever. Isn't that amazing to think that thought? It was that quick for me. 725 on a Tuesday night, October 30th, 1990. In an instant, God saved me. In an instant. Bow your heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. I'm so thankful, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that's lost, Lord, save them. Lord, we can't save ourselves. We're not our own Savior. We can't do enough good works to save ourselves. We can't do enough social deeds. Lord, we can't do enough. We can't give enough. But Jesus paid the price. He bore our sins on Calvary's cross and rose from the dead. And Lord, I pray that everyone here today would trust in Him, the resurrected Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd save according to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You respond as the Lord leads you this morning.
say Merry Christmas. God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful week and hope to see you back here next Sunday. You're dismissed.